You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last week, we hope. We are zooming into week 15 of the NFL season, and both playoff pictures are still very fluid. Coming off of last night, as we record here on Tuesday afternoon, two Monday night games. Uh, we had a, uh, you can't, well, not really a doubleheader. They were stacked. Both games played at the same time. Uh, you had the Dolphins. Uh, hosting Tennessee, and in what is becoming a big story, not just in southern Jersey, but just about everywhere now, the Giants hosted the Packers, and they came out with the win. But maybe the bigger story is Tommy DeVito, fine Italian-American young man, and I'm, I'm all about that. You know, I vowels in my name. You know, we, we kind of stand together. He's a Jersey kid. Uh, I think he started his career. Uh, I'll just bring Alex in here. He started at Syracuse, right? And then transferred to Illinois. Uh, that's correct. Yes, that's right. So just like in every other, uh, you know, just about every other player that comes out anymore is transferred at least once. <laughs> Especially quarterbacks. Guys, Luke. They see, Especially yeah, quarterbacks. they've been in college for Yeah, I mean, they'll play. They'll be in college for like five, six, seven years, some of them. So, uh, but I, But I guess the, the human interest part of this and I'm sure anybody who watched the telecast or was watching the Manning cast, the star of the night was Tommy's agent, okay, uh, Sean Stellato. Now, Sean, uh, former friend of the show, um, it was part of maybe the greatest interview that never was. Uh, Alex and I, and Alex had contacts, you know, through Sean and he's an agent and we, we've interviewed and Alex has interviewed many of his players in the past and we wanted to have Sean on. And for some reason, his, there was his phone, our connection. It was like, almost like from a movie and the director just kept saying, cut, take two, take three, take four. And I guess as luck had it, I was going to introduce him. I had the first question and I swear to God, he got through like the first half of his answer, the first question about 10 times before we finally just bagged it. And we never had him back. So that's our personal connection to Sean. Now, now, last night he shows on a Tommy DeVito, it's mentioned Tommy DeVito, that's his guy. I mean, he's, he's his agent. So pregame, he's down on the field with Tommy on the sideline. And Sean, I swear to God, I, and I don't know if he knew this. If he did, it's brilliant marketing. God bless him. He is a salesman, hustler, whatever you want to call him. But his players love him. And I, I hope we can get him on the show sometime and, and finish that interview. But he was dressed to the nines. I mean, he looked like he could have walked off. He walked off of the set of The Sopranos, uh, Goodfellas. He's wearing this it's all black, right? Black suit, turtleneck. He's got the gold chain on with the Italian horn, a fedora. I mean, I think he just, everybody's eyes were drawn towards Sean. 
Okay, so that that was the first thing, and then all over Twitter, I mean, look at Tommy's agent. You know, he looks like you know he looks like a connected guy. He looks like a good fella. I mean, all the jokes were coming out. And again, being an Italian, you can take offense to that, but to me, it's all in fun. It, I I enjoy it. It's funny. Okay, the other then you've got Tommy's family, which now is a whole show in itself right they show up 20 deep they don't have a box they just have a little section in 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 metlife and again it's it's a show tommy's dad his mom his brothers and now sean's up there with them and i kid you not as much run as much facetime as taylor swift has gotten in multiple chiefs games the DeVito family and Agent Sean Stellato blew it out of the water last night in one game. They're, they're hugging. They're kissing each other. Guys, girls. I mean, it was a scene. And it was beautiful because Tommy's balling out. He's making plays. So, again, they're happy as hell. And Sean is just – I mean, if his phone has probably been exploding since last night – Business will be booming, and God bless him, Sean Stellato, and to all my paisan out there. Uh, I'm doing the Tommy little bouquet, and I'm sure if you could see me now, you know what I'm talking about. But uh, it, it was great, uh, Alex. I wish you could have seen it. Sean is a great guy. He's got a lot of energy. Uh, that's the one oh, thing. Yeah. He, he definitely knows how to sell his players. I've always had like he's always had printouts. He's always like told me about his players, all the little details. So I'm not surprised about this. Plus, Sean played college football, Lou. He also played in the arena league. So he's not your typical agent. He's a guy that has been around the game. He's written. He's written a couple of books. So, yeah, I just you always feel energized when you speak to Sean, whether it's um, you know, live somewhere at an all-star game or you talk to him on the phone. He's just a guy that's always on. I, I think he has maybe like 10 or 15 cups of coffee a day because of the energy that he brings. So, you know, we drink we drink espresso, Alex. Espresso. I mean, hey, all the Italians <laughs> do. So, but it's just it's amazing and I'm I'm happy for him and I'm happy for his guy Tommy DeVito definitely deserves this. I mean, the Giants looked like they were out and left in the dead after the whole Daniel Jones debacle after he got injured. You know, there seems to be some infighting going on because be, between like the head coach and the defensive coordinator, supposedly. And all of a sudden, Tommy DeVito has re-energized this franchise. And they've won, what, three games now, Lou? Three? Yeah, three. I think he's three and one as a starter. Uh, it, it looks like the game is starting to slow down for him a little bit because last night, I mean, he really, he made some plays and that the drive to get them, to get him down there to, to kick the winning field goal. He makes a throw to, to, to Wandale Robinson that just, I mean, I, I it was, I, it wasn't a great, I mean, it wasn't like it was like this incredible throw, but it was a professional it was an NFL throw that had to be made, and in the moment, this undrafted rookie drilled it in there and got him in field goal range in the last minute or whatever. I don't know that they really – they had three timeouts. It was under two minutes, and they only used the the timeout, at, I think, at the end because they were 
you know, they were just kind of positioning for the field goal once he got them close enough. And so, I mean, all, you know, it's a great story and it's, you know, a lot of great optics, but the kid actually last night really, because I think he had like 70 yards rushing, made another throw in the corner of the end zone to Isaiah Hodgins. That was again, another professional that the only place it could be thrown. Hodgins made a great play in the back corner of the end zone. And uh, so props to him. You know, I mean, playing at, at Illinois and whatever, it, it just you never got the sense that this kid had what it took to be an NFL quarterback. And, and we still don't know. And we'll talk about backup quarterbacks uh, because they've been so prevalent in the in the in the uh, in the season this year. Uh, we'll talk more about them. But for him to do that, I mean, this is I mean, it's only a small sample, but. I mean, at some point, I'm sure the questions are starting to arise. You know, Daniel Jones, a couple of serious neck injuries. Uh, yeah, you paid him all that money, but you got this undrafted guy out playing. I don't know. Maybe Tommy D is their guy. Maybe. You, you never know. But the thing is, the more he plays and the more games he wins, right. and the, yeah. the, the more you know, confidence that coaching staff is going to have in him and they're going to dial it up and, and call some of the plays that they would do with the regular offense. So in the beginning, they were protecting him, but now they let it loose. I mean, during this game, when when the game was on the line, when they were losing, I mean, they just, they cut him loose and he made a couple of incredible throws. Half of the starting quarterbacks in the league can't make those throws. So, you know, I want to mention that as well. It's always good to see a backup quarterback, an undrafted rookie free agent, come in and just and light it up. And he did light it up, like, on, on Monday Night Football. Before we finish the Sean story and, and Tommy DeVito, one last plug was a, another former friend of the show and quarterback teacher guru Tony Rossiopi, also from New Jersey, is Tommy's kind of um, personal coach and has been coaching him, I think, through college and maybe even in, in high school through through college. So Tony Raz, you know, props to you, too. You don't get the, the run that Sean did last night. I don't I can't see Tony dressing up like that or, or really kind of playing the part. But he's he's one of the guys behind the scenes that that, that trains these Jersey quarterbacks, along with Kenny Pickett and some others. But uh, Tony Raz, props to you, too. And yes, Paisano, number two. Let's the three. Actually, let's go. The Chiefs. Logo. All right, now we can talk about that. I didn't want I, – the bottom line is I didn't really want to talk about that game. I just wanted to talk about how oh, embarrassing okay. I would be for – it would be embarrassing for me if Kyle Shanahan and Brock Purdy – okay, let's just put it out there. If my head coach and my quarterback were acting like this, like they were privileged kids – you know, in high school, jocks. I've never seen this before. Andy Reid is a classy guy, okay? I've never seen him act quite brash like this, and I've never seen Patrick Mahomes act like he's owed by, like he owns the NFL and they owe him something. And the fact that they should have, you know, they, they should have told Kadarius Tony that he was offside. I've never seen that that side of him before and the fact that he was going off on the sideline and the fact that he was going off when he went for the for the shake with josh allen he continued that 
I mean, I just, I, I, I understand it's frustration. I understand this isn't the only situation. I understand that the Chiefs offense hasn't been clicking, you know, for half of the season. It just, it just hasn't, you know, they haven't put up the numbers. They've made these mistakes over and over again with offsides, stupid penalties, you know, turnovers, and the offense is just not clicking. And, and you could say that the defense has been rescuing them for most of the season, but I've never seen that side of both of these men before. And that what was so strange, but I'm, it's just, to me, it's just frustration boiling over in a situation like this. Right. And I guess you, you look at any, I guess, great competitor. Now, as far as Coach Reed goes, I don't know that Coach Reed really did anything or was, you know, showed any sort of emotion at that point. Now, during his presser, he did say that it was kind of an embarrassment to the league. Now, typically he stays out of any officiating thing. So that was that was a first for him. And it was a first for him to see that call. And I believe uh, it was called on the Chiefs once before in 1995, an offensive, uh, you know, offside. And we can get into that. I mean, yeah, he was offside. There's no question about it. Did he ask? Well, there's footage that he looked over, waved, and Tony screwed up. I mean, there's no question. Tony screwed up on that. And he was offside. But he also was offside three other times in the game and typically, and I think that's what Coach Reed was frustrated with is that Usually when that happens, there's referee will go to the coach and say, hey, this guy's lining up funny. You better get on this guy and warn him, you know, tell him whatever. So that's what he was, I think, more pissed off about. And I'm sure they're very pissed off about just how the offense is performing in general. As far as Patrick is concerned, you know, I look at it like this. Yeah, there's a lot bubbling over there. There was a, you know, there's been a, a few calls that didn't go his way, but, you know, I've been a fan of multiple sports and the common thread of the greatest in all those sports is that they are extremely competitive. And when a situation is called a certain way, you're going to see some boil over, whether it was Kobe, whether it was Michael Jordan, LeBron. I'm sure the I'm sure there's other guys too. Tom Brady, you know, Tom Brady. I mean, there's you, I, you, it's countless number of times that they explode like this. Does that excuse the behavior? No, he shouldn't have done that. And I'm sure after whatever, 24, 36 hours, he sees that. And I'm sure he said as much that, you know, he wish he would have acted that way, especially, you know, with his friend coming over to sit, you know, congratulate him or say, you know, good game, whatever, Josh Allen. I'm sure he re regrets that and i'm sure he's talked to josh since then uh but again in the moment it's unless you've had that helmet on been in that situation it's hard to say well dude you gotta chill i mean it just stuff boils over you see it in the nfl all the time i mean chris jones was having words with like joe cullen who Every single week of the year, he goes out of his way to say how much he's helped his game. It's an emotional game. When things don't go quite the way you think, it's going to boil over. And I think in a lot of ways, it was kind of a, almost like a cathartic thing for the Chiefs, I think, to see Patrick finally lose it a little bit. Again, he he's not one to chew out his receivers, where is you've probably seen it from Drew Brees 
Mahomes, from Brett Favre, from from uh, Tom Brady specifically. So maybe that's his way of doing it and not really getting in their faces. I don't know. I don't. I don't know what's in his mind. But I, I, that's kind of the way I, I see it. As far as Coach Reed, and he's, he said it himself, that's the first time he's seen a call in his career. Uh, he's been around the league a long time, but may, on many occasions, he's had officials come to him and say, listen, this guy is a little too close to the line. He's over, the, you know, he's lining up over the line, back him up, uh, and you see it every game. And this is the part that's on Tony. He did look over, but he didn't like wait to get confirmation from the official to let him know, hey, you got to back up. So, yeah, uh, both things can be true. It was if you're going to make that call earlier in the game or tell the kid, hey, you're lining up offside, man, you got to back up something that didn't happen. And that's where Reed's frustration was, is that if you saw it before, let him know. So you have to admit Watching the NFL this year, officiating has been paying, they've been paying more attention to these types of calls. And I think it goes back to the Philadelphia Eagles and their shuffle play, right? When their offensive linemen, a lot of the times they're crowding the well, line of scrimmage Ju- and they're Juwan, lined up Ju- offside. Juwan Taylor, specifically for the Chiefs. Juwan that, you know, Taylor op- is opening, another... Opening, opening night, yeah. Juwan Taylor is another situation. Yeah. I just think... Officials in general have been asked by the league to pay attention to this stuff more, even in critical situations, even when it's fourth quarter, even when it's the last two minutes, because they know that what the scope of the game is like. They know that it's the final drive and that they're going to be looked at by the league if they blow the call. Uh Oh, I mean, you might not be officiating next week or you might not get into the playoffs. So they're trying to pay attention. Oh no, that to side, that side, more. that side judge had had the call. She or he is standing right there, and you know if you're gonna, they don't know what's ha- going to happen during the play. I mean, after the fact, oh my god, it was like the, one of the greatest plays ever <laughs> that that I can recall. But you know, at the time, she's he or she sees it. I I don't recall who the side judge was, but you know they th- they throw the flag. And again, the frustrating thing is is that. He did, he did it like three times earlier in the game, and it wasn't called. Not to say that they shouldn't call it, but you'd like for them, to, if they saw it, to say something. Now, I found myself, in you know, like after those games, last night's games, I'm watching how the receivers line up. And I think there was a few screen grabs during, during the game where, like, Jalen Waddell, you can see he's – his foot is beyond the he, he's lined up offside. Like I said, in that same game, Tony was on towing the line. I mean, he was on the line three other times. And I get it. If it's a point of emphasis and you're looking for it, if it's happening early and you don't want to flag the guy, just pull him aside. And they and it, this happens a lot. You pull him in and say, Hey, you got to back up. They don't want it, and the referees are the first ones to say they don't want to throw those flags. Right. They don't. But but by the same token, if it is a point of emphasis and you're seeing it and you don't warn them, then it's just stupid to say later on, oh, I got you that time. I mean, that Again, it's let's I mean, if we want to clean it up, tell the guy what's happening now with the offensive line. I mean, that's just 
offensive tackles have been getting away with that for a long time. And I think that's what, to your point, Alex, is why it was a point of emphasis. And it's still happening, but sometimes it gets called, sometimes it doesn't. Well, like I said, hopefully they clean it up. And uh, I hope their coaching stats are going to, you know, pay attention to that a little bit they more. Will now, they will now. <laughs> and you know what, Lou? What do you think about this? After a bad game like this, and after the fact that Kadarius Tony has had a few blunders during yeah. this season, do you think that the franchise should send a message to these wide receivers in general and cut the guy, even you know, with four or five weeks left in the season? I would say that's something you should think about because I do think that you've got Travis Kelsey, you've got Patrick Mahomes, but the wide receivers haven't been pulling their own weight. You know, it's whether it's you know Marquise. Valdez Scantling, you know, dropping a perfectly placed ball. Kadarius Stoney dropping balls before. Now lining up offsides. I think the Chiefs should send a message. I think that's something that could have mm, a positive effect on the team. I realize that they're not going to do it, but what do you think about a team sending I, I, a message like that? I think it I think it depends on the organization. I think it depends on, you know, the other guys that they have, the other wide receivers. They they're really not in a position right now. I mean, like you said, I mean, the wide receiver group hasn't played that well and he's seems to be around this. They know him better better than than we do or really anyone. Uh, that's not been, uh, coach, coach Reed's MO in the past. Now, if it get got to a certain, I mean, hell, I mean, he put up with a lot from TO, uh, um, but you know, at a certain point, if you recognize the talent, but then the other thing is you've got contracts that are messed up in this. So, you know, if you cut them, what are those ramifications? It's if it was a college program, I could, I could see it happening like in a heartbeat, maybe not cut, but certainly benched for some time, uh, whether it be a game, a half or, or whatever. I think in this case, it will just be drilled in the wide receiver room and then also, you know, in front of the team a bit. But they tend to be a little bit more on the positive side. And I think he's more concerned of the, the, kid, the guy's mental state because he has had some issues in the past and uh, I just don't see it from from coach Reed and this administration now they may see you know you might see it with it with another team or another coach and uh but I just I just don't see it happening I mean it certainly would send a message uh I think they really don't have that person uh, you know in the building anymore i don't know the other guys have that personality meaning you know coach b would have been the guy you know that that would have got in somebody's butt uh over all this stuff the receivers coach is fairly young guy i don't know the I don't think he he makes it through the season. I, I shouldn't say that. I don't think he makes it next season at the same position, uh, especially with such a young group. I think they need a more experienced person, you know, coaching the wide receivers. Um, but yeah, without EB kind of being that guy that just didn't care about being a, a jerk and and getting in guys' faces and holding them accountable. No one's. I don't know that anybody on that staff has that personality that's on the offensive side of the ball. Maybe some of the defensive coaches, but uh, not uh, not on offense. 
All right. So, big game. Uh, you talked a little bit about uh, the Eagles line, Eagles-Cowboys. Uh, the narrative coming in was the Cowboys hadn't beaten anybody any good. How are they going to do this? The Eagles are in the midst of the, this gauntlet of, the, of their schedule where they're coming off of games with the Chiefs and the Bills and the Niners. Uh, they won two of them. San Francisco just absolutely humiliated them uh, on their home field. And it looked like, I mean, at a certain point that one loss certainly turned into two because their offense didn't show up. Fumbles, miscues. I mean, you talk about the Chiefs miscues. I mean, it was, I wouldn't say the same thing because they're, they've got two, you know, they got one A and one B as wide receivers with Smith and, and A.J. Brown. But they, you know, they had their share of miscues of fumbles. They didn't score a touchdown on offense. Dallas just seems to, you know, at very least at home, seems to be a well-oiled machine. Uh, so from the Eagles' standpoint, you know, they've lost two in a row. The defense is just seems way out of sync. This isn't the same defense that we saw last year, uh, missing a lot of pieces. This year, you know, their guy in the back calling signals, Avante Maddox goes out, and that is, has kind of had ripple effects. Uh, the linebacking core has been up and down. Uh, they bring in Shaq Leonard, so we'll see if that helps. Um, I don't know. It, it's a weird thing because San Francisco, they had some injuries and they lost three in a row earlier in the year. You've got the Eagles now kind of looking human, even though leading up to these games, it's like, well, they're not winning by enough. They don't look the same. Something's going, something's not right here. Uh, you know, new offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator. Hertz gets paid. Maybe they're protecting him, not running as much. He doesn't look healthy. So maybe that's another reason he's not running as much. The offense doesn't look. So there are a lot of different things happening here, but I don't know. Do you, are you concerned with the Eagles right now? They should be concerned, okay? Am I worried? I mean, they should be worried because they. Well, I'm had... sure they. I'm sure they've got concerns, but do you do you see them kind of being able to right the ship leading into the playoffs? I think they will, Lou. Just because I like to look at the schedule and the next four games that they have, it's against Seattle, two against the New York Giants. With all due respect to Tommy, Tommy DeVito, DeVito, baby. Uh, in Arizona, okay? Those are games that they're supposed to win. I think those four games they, they should win. Will be, they will be fa they'll be favored in all of them. Yeah. And I think they will. Right now, they're 10-3, and three, and I think they'll go into the playoffs 14-3. and three. That's just that's what I think. The last five games for the Eagles, it's been a tough stretch for them, okay? They've beaten the Cowboys. They beat the Chiefs. They beat the Bills. They lost to the 49ers and the Cowboys. So they went 3-2. and two during that stretch it's not too bad considering the teams that they beat the only reason why everyone is worried is that they lost the last two by a wide margin like you say uh i'm just like you i'm very worried about the defense i don't think it's something that they're going to fix i think this team is going to be vulnerable in the playoffs and this is a team that i would like to play I mean, if they don't get home field advantage and say they're going to be like number three and they're going to play like against a number six team, I would love to play the Eagles, to be honest with you, because they don't look like 
that defense doesn't look like it can stop anybody. I also agree that I think Jalen's knee is bothering him because he just he doesn't look the same when he's throwing the ball. It, it just it looks a little weird, and obviously he's not running it. So I think they'll fix the red zone stuff on offense, but I think the defense is is the 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 problem i mean it is the trouble spot for well, the, them the so. pass the pass rush isn't nearly what it was last year I don't know, they had like a record record uh number of sacks last year and i don't think they're anywhere close i agree with you and that's why i'm saying i think they will ride the ship here the final four weeks of the season i think they'll win all those games but heading into the playoffs, even if you're 14 and 3, you're not going to be feeling that good hosting a playoff game in Philly because I don't think their problems are going to be fixed because they're going to be playing a, a cupcake schedule here down the stretch. The, the defense is the problem here. In order to win a championship, you have to play your best football on the defensive side of the ball. And that's just not happening. It's not going to get fixed. Just by just because they signed Shaquille Leonard, he's been a great player, but there's a reason why the Colts released him. So he's not going to fix it all by himself. He's not going to be like an X factor, the difference maker. So I, I think Jalen's knee is going to get better. I think they'll fix the red zone issues on offense. I think they'll score more touchdowns and cut cut down those turnovers, but they can't stop anybody. And I don't think it's going to get solved here th this last month of the season. Yeah, like I said, maybe the pass rush last year covered up a lot of these holes. But again, there was Gardner Johnson, uh, you know, Bradbury and Slayer. Maybe they're covering a little bit longer than they they were used to this year. And like I said, Gardner Johnson moved on in free agency. Avante Maddox got hurt, so there's a lot of it's kind of a patchwork back end, and it's just not holding up, especially with the lack of pass rush. Where now you're asking them to hold up even longer so it's just kind of it's, it's a snowballing effect so maybe if they're able to get that pass rush going it'll uh it'll help them in the back end and at the linebacker position so the team on the other side of the field so finally they are on a heater right now Dak Prescott is playing at an MVP level uh racking up numbers like he he never has in his career uh, I, I believe so there, there's one thing you, we weren't, I, th I don't think we were prepared to say early in the season, uh, coach McCarthy, you gotta, you gotta say it might be up for coach of the year because we're thinking, well, geez, they get rid of, they, they get rid of the offensive coordinator. He says he's going to call the plays. The first, I don't know, four or five games, I mean, it's real conservative, real simple. And I think a lot of the things that Aaron Rodgers was complaining about when he was in Green Bay, then they come out of the bye, and it's like <laughs> like a completely different team. It's bombs away. CeeDee Lamb now is, is, I think, showing all of the promise that we expected him to be a top five receiver in the league, maybe even in top three so that part of it Dak the, the the tight end Jake Ferguson uh Gallup is starting to make plays uh all the receivers you know are coming are coming along so uh I don't know and, and this is with the defense that has lost uh, Trevon Diggs lost late in the 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 uh the linebacker Duran Bland you know against Seattle he he kind of had his 
a moment, if you would, with DK Metcalf, where he, they just took him on. He was he was like on him solely, and they said, you know what, this isn't working so well tonight. Let's move you off, move Gilmore over there, and it made a little bit of a difference. But Bland came up with an interception late, so uh, a lot happening here. Is it fool's gold again? I mean, is it? Are they just setting us up? I mean, really, until they win a divisional round game, I don't know that we can say, okay, this team is different. I don't, I, I, I'm just not ready to pronounce that yet. Dak has in one of my fantasy leagues resurrected my team. I, I just coming off of this past weekend made the playoffs. I was at two and five. I finished eight and six primarily because of him. And now the rest of the team was pretty good too, but that was the big hole in my in my lineup was quarterback, and he's done a great job with that, so God bless him. But when it comes to real football, are you ready to say, all right, this Cowboys team is different? I think this team is for real this year. I, I realize that you're always going to have those questions after they lost against the Eagles early on in the season, against the 49ers. The, ni- the, ni- the Niners dusted them, but, you know, that, that's what happened. But I think this is a different team the past even like five or six weeks of the season. I I just think they're playing at a different level. They're clicking everywhere. The defense was carrying the day early on. Now they're clicking offensively, like you said. They're just, they're pushing the right buttons. Dallas needs to get home field advantage, Lou, because they're unbeaten there this year. And I don't know if they're going to be able to do that because they've got a tough stretch of games coming up, but... If they play at home in that building, nobody's going to beat them, okay? Not even the 49ers. So whoever gets the home field advantage should feel good about it, and that's what the Cowboys are striving for. They've got two tough games coming up, Lo. They're at Buffalo, and they're at Miami. Those are two games that I think are also going to show a lot because they're on the road. They're against a desperate Buffalo Bills team that's coming off a a great win. It's trying Miami to get back into too. the playoffs. But Miami, after that meltdown last night, they're going to be ready. They're going to be ready and clicking. I mean, uh, after that game. So uh, those are the two games that I still want to see them. But I, this team feels different, Lou. This team feel, feels different. And I just think that for the most part, uh, that that's, that's how I look at it, you know? And I understand that Dak is always going to have questions surrounding him. He's always going to have questions. Well, he's doing well in the regular season. Let's see how he does in the playoffs. Then he wins a playoff game or two. They're going to be like, can he win the Super Bowl? It's that, those are always going to be questions when it right. comes to right. every quarterback Absolutely. until he gets over the hump and brings that you know, Lombardi trophy. And especially with the Cowboys, because they've teased so much and the expectations are always so high. Sometimes it, you know, it, Hey, if you're going to, if you're going to ask for all the attention, then you got to deal with the fallout as well. So, and, and they've done all this, this, I guess this kind of historic role offensively, the way they're going really without Tony Pollard being involved much. You know, you really expected, you know, I think the expectation was whether it be in the fantasy community and in the reality community in terms of what this guy was going to be, because it always seemed like he was so effective as that change of pace guy, whatever. What's going to happen when he gets more opportunities? Well, it, it that's the part of their game where you might feel a little suspect because 
when at, at a certain point in the playoffs, you're going to need to run the ball. And I don't know if it's an offensive line issue. I don't know if it's a Pollard issue, but like Rico Dowdle seems to make more plays during this run than Tony Pollard has. And I guess it, it can go one or two ways. If all of a sudden it clicks in for Tony, this could be really, this could be really bad news for the rest of the, the rest of the NFC. Or if it doesn't, at what point during the playoffs does it come back to bite them in the ass? Because, you know, they're, they're one dimensional. Now that one dimension has been like ridiculous, but again, in the playoffs, we know whether it's a four minute drill, whether it's, you know, just being able to take some pressure off of the quarterback and the pass rush, you got to be able to run it some. So that that'll be interesting moving forward. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's the Cowboys. So, and, and Dak, until he gets to at very least that NFC championship game, these questions are going to come back, but you lost to the Niners. You got blown out by the Niners again. So yeah, those that you're going to keep hearing that even though they won this game. Right. And now they're, uh, I believe in a tie break, I think they're in the division lead momentarily. Right. Because, and it's, division record and like you said they play the eagles play the giants twice so if they win those two games then i think the eagles would uh supplant dallas but in terms of the overall one seed it's your 49ers and i believe they clinched with some sort of magical mathematical thing last night they clinched a playoff spot so they're the first team that's officially in the playoffs well, how do you um, feel about that, Alex? They are how the best team in per- football. How about that Brock Purdy? Are we are we are, are we going to start beating the drum for Brock MVP? I think they they should be talking about it. I mean, Jalen Hurts has kind of slid a bit, so right now I think it's a two man show. It's it's Dak and Brock Purdy. I mean, those are the two quarterbacks, and it's going to depend on what happens down the stretch here. So. I mean, obviously the Cowboys have a couple of big games coming up. Like I said, yeah, uh, Brock deserves all the respect. I mean, right now, honestly. And uh, the we talked about him before, right? We've compared him to some all-time great quarterbacks. But, I mean, he's just, he is a guy that gets it done. I mean, Tom Brady played in the system, okay? Pete Manning played in the system. That's it's really a stupid argument you know like you play in a certain offense but what yeah, if brock no one... purdy was in this <laughs> offense but he's not no in that one plays offense, professional okay? professional football with the you know with a with a backyard offense right i mean it's a, every team has a system and plays that you know the, the coaches ask you to execute I just now there's think... some guys that that do things outside of the x's and o's but maybe you know a handful of times per game but most of the time it's can you execute your offense efficiently and not put your team in a bad place exactly lou and the fact is i mean you you can call any quarterback a system quarterback i mean just it's it's a ridiculous argument that i think we should bury it's a it's discussions that we had 10 or 15 years ago can we stop them right now in 2023 i think because it's something to talk about and there's so many i mean hell even our i mean we're out there we're we're one of the thousands of podcasts 
and, and TV shows and everything else. You got to have something to talk about, Alex. Come on. But I, I just think it's it, it's a dumb discussion in, yeah, in regards. I, I, to, I, to I agree with you. I'm just, it's I'm just it, it doesn't make sense to me, to be honest with you. But Kyle Shanahan, right. Kyle Shanahan also has to prove it because here's a guy that has never won a Super Bowl. And so there are also questions, you know, we're talking about Dak and can he win the big one, right? Can he get to the Super Bowl? Can he, you know, uh, you know, lift that Lombardi trophy? But Kyle Shanahan is in the same boat. I mean, he's had great regular season teams, but can he get it done in the playoffs? Can he win the big one? I mean, those are legitimate question marks and they surround the 49ers as well we have a great defensive line we've got depth there thanks to you know the trade for chase young we seem to be healthy and i'm gonna knock on wood here lou and we seem to be healthy and hopefully we'll continue you know to have this good luck because you know we always seem to have injuries down the stretch when it matters the most but if we're healthy this is the best team but they still have to get it done it's still a uh, you know, a one-game tournament, and anything can happen in a playoff game. Single elimination, baby, do or die. That's 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 the way we like it. Now, I know it's not exactly the same, but it, 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 but Brock is kind of like on a. It's early on, but kind of like a, like a Kurt Warner type trajectory. Kurt was uh, undrafted bounced around, played in the arena league. So it's not exactly the same, but for a guy that wasn't really expected to be anything, to kind of get thrust into a situation, and now granted, he the similar part of it is is that Kurt came in, <laughs> he had some great weapons, <laughs> kind of like Brock does, and has made the most of it. Not everybody can just, just because you have all those weapons, can come in and execute the offense make the throws, make all the throws, and not put your team in harm's way at the same time. That's the difficult part of it because you can come in like as a gunslinger and try, you know, a lot of these throws, miss, get interceptions and whatever, and now, you know, the story's not the same. But if you're making those throws, yeah, those weapons are there for you. But, you know, with Falk and, and Holt and, uh, and uh, who's the other receiver? Isaac Bruce, oh, man, Isaac Bruce, my gosh! Sometimes this old brain, Alex, it kind of it kind of crumbles at times. But but no, I mean that I don't know that I don't recall at that time you know, kind of the I don't know, because Brock he gets put in not just the system, but that oh he's got all these weapons. I don't remember if Warner got a lot of that. I don't, I don't remember that really happening. I should say, I don't think he did, where it was like, well, geez, look at all the weapons he has, and Marshall Falk, and like you said, Bruce, and Holt, and Azakim, and you know, whoever they put in was somehow, he, he, he got them the ball, they got yards, they got points. So, again, I guess it's not quite, not the same player, Kurt's a much bigger guy, but, but as far as kind of being overlooked, and then thrust into a situation and making it work almost immediately. And I think both of them did do it immediately. Uh, I, you know, they made a movie about him. If Brock keeps going on this trajectory, maybe we'll see a movie about Brock Purdy. All right. So now those are some teams that have been fortunate, at least so far this year. And I'm knocking on wood with health 
at the quarterback position. Now, we've seen over the last few weeks uh, backup quarterbacks kind of coming to the fore where teams that look like were, were dead were going to be dead. Now, all of a sudden, you look at them like, hey, they might have a chance, meaning like Cincinnati with Jake Browning. The Browns with Flacco. Now, the Browns were in playoff position, but it, it looked kind of bleak once uh, DTR got, got the concussion. He went, really wasn't that effective. You know, P.J. Walker had his moment. I think now they've had like four quarterbacks that have won games for him. Joe Flacco, 38 years old. Off the, I mean, he was – I don't know. I mean, he looked like a young man. He looked like he was back in, with the Ravens last this past weekend with the Browns against Jacksonville. And, you know, so Browning and Flacco, we talked about DeVito. Will Levis wasn't a start at the beginning of the season. Hell, even Zach Wilson had a moment this weekend and won a game with a bunch of touchdowns. They, they, they were underdogs against Houston. And, and so it, it's been kind of a roller coaster. Some, Teams not so much, you know. They had Tyson Bajan. He was he was pretty good for for a bit. Joshua Dobbs had a, had a few moments there. Minshew's got his team in playoff position, but he's kind of been the starter since uh, Richardson got hurt. So it's been a little bit longer for him. Uh, Levis is maybe this is a, a revelation. Is he the guy in Tennessee? So a lot of flux at the quarterback position, but again, I just wanted to give a shout out to some of these backup quarterbacks balling out specifically, like I said, this week, DeVito Flacco and Browning. I just want to get your thoughts or your kind of your view on it, Alex, where these, if any of these guys have a chance to go beyond this season. I just don't get it. Why didn't the jets sign Joe Flacco off the street? I think they did work him yeah. out, right? I just maybe their I think season, so, yeah. maybe their season would have been a little bit different. I mean, what I'm seeing from Flacco is that he's played what really well for three quarters the last game, and now he played extremely well this game and got the win. Again, it, it might have helped. The Jets might have been in the in a playoff, you know, push right now. Uh, all respect to to Zach Wilson last week. That was his best game. Many people are gonna say. You know, oh, let's see what happens. You know, can he string another game together? So, I mean, my hat goes off to Zach Wilson. He got a lot of flack during the week that, according to some reports, he didn't want to play. (laughs) (laughs) And then all of a sudden he comes out and just balls out. Hopefully he can do it for a second straight week. But Joe Flacco is even more amazing. A guy off the street, you know, sitting on the couch. I'm sure he wasn't working out every day. But the fact is... He always had a strong arm. He was always always a confident passer. He can get it down there, down the field. And, you know, and the Browns look like they're going to be in the playoffs. And can you imagine before the season, the Browns being in the playoffs with Joe Flacco being their starting quarterback? I mean, we some of us well, thought, being there yeah. being their fourth starting quarterback of the season. Not just it's Flacco. Like maybe he, if he was the backup, uh, Deshaun's history of getting hurt, maybe. But he's like the fourth guy, and he really wasn't even on the roster. Anybody's roster. Kevin That's Stefanski the- deserves to be coach of the year. Okay, because there's been a lot of perseverance. It's been a lot of stuff with Deshaun Watson. A lot of uh, freaking noise. Bringing yeah. in jo- Jim Schwartz was was a really good move by them. Stroke, he's really genius, brilliant. Yeah. He's brilliant. worked out. Yep. But the fact is, Kevin Stefanski deserves Coach of the Year at this point. If this team gets in the t- into the playoffs, and it seems like they will, 
that's it. He's got my vote. If I had a vote, he would be my guy, not Mike McCarthy. So uh, it's just, it's amazing. It really is. And it, it shows you, again, the importance of having a backup quarterback. And I think I said it last year. It's really important to have three good quarterbacks on the roster, okay? Because, I mean, Brock Purdy was a third-string quarterback before he got in there. And it's just try to scout these guys, try to bring in, you know, veterans, you know, guys that nobody wants off the street. It doesn't matter if you're an undrafted free agent. If you've got some things that you do well, maybe you've got, you don't have the arm strength, but you throw with anticipation and you've got great pocket movement, bring these guys in. And once again, it just, it really, like the, the scouting departments and NFL teams, they spend so much money. They've got, Scouts all over the road, you know, watching these quarterbacks play 40-plus starts in, during their career, and they still can't get it right because Brock Purdy should have, shouldn't have been Mr. Irrelevant. No way in hell. And Trey Lance shouldn't have been the third overall pick for the 49ers. So it's just, it's amazing. I always think about this. What do these guys do on the road? Well, They're this, certainly this not made, watching this, games. Well, not, well Alec, Alec, this is what I want to talk to you about. And I think this, is, this may... Yeah, you know, maybe a, lo- a longer conversation for another show, but the scouts can only do so much, right? Because evidently, you know, you do your job, you do your reports and so forth. And how loud can your voice be in the room? Because there's many layers of a scouting department, right? You make your reports to the guy that's above you, and then there, he's probably reports to the GM, you know, does that sales pitch you make to the guy in the middle always, I guess, sell him enough to go sell the other guy because now your job's that guy's job's on the line, right? So how much of the with the work that the scout, the field scout or the out there, like on the roads watching these guys and whatever, and they see something in a kid or whatever. But now do they have the sales skills to sell their immediate supervisor to, to go to the GM and say, okay, we really need to have this guy. I, I think that's, that's where I get a little, I get, uh, I think every organization is probably a little bit different. Do they want to hear from everybody or do they just, or does the GM want to, all the information funneled through to like one or two people and then those three will make a decision? Well, that's how it usually works, right? You've got scouts on the road who write the reports, and then they have their direct supervisors, right? That are usually sitting at home and kind of reading through these reports. Hopefully, they're reading them thoroughly. And then those guys funnel the information to the GM because they're kind of, you know, they're the right-hand man, right? The director of college scouting, right? He's whispering in, in GM's ear. You know, they've got... You know, some kind of a connection there. But the the scouts do get an opportunity in the draft room to kind of stand up and make a voice, especially if you're covering that certain area and there's a player that you feel strongly about. You can say something, especially on day three. But I do think that it says a lot about the NFL structure as a whole. It's broken in a way. You've got these guys on the road that know inside and out everything about these players they've gathered all the information they know if he's a good kid or a bad kid how hard he plays and they know everything about him from a physical standpoint then 
that information just doesn't get inside the building fully. Like you write all these reports, but you still need to knock on the door to your supervisor, right? Yeah. To your director of college scouting. And then you have, you, gotta, you hope. You got to sell it because right, people's names get, get on these picks. And if it doesn't work out or they, they're not so sold on it, I just think the structure of an NFL franchise has always been a bit broken to me. It, it's a little bit backwards. It's they don't, you know, I always feel like you need to have really thorough meetings, right? At the senior bowl, at the scouting combine, not only before the draft. We always hear that teams gather for a week or two before the draft. But you know what? Everybody's head is boiling at that point because you're well, trying to I do think crunch it, what time. It com- right, because it, there's only so much time. There's thousands of players. You got to whittle it down. They, you know, if they're watching film, you know, all of a sudden, okay, well, now we've got our final, I don't know, 200 guys that we, that these are, these are, this is our board. And maybe it's even less than that. But now we're going to watch tape of all these guys and break it down and, and everybody's going to have their opportunity to say, this is what I like about him. This is what I don't like about him. And I can't even imagine how that gets whittled down because then it just becomes almost like a, like a whose voice is going to be heard, whose voice is going to ring true to the, to the GM or to that supervisor that reports to the GM. And I think that's where your frustration lies, Alex, where that's how guys slip through the cracks is that maybe we didn't sell them hard enough or, hey, you know, I had a couple of picks that went awry. If I have another one, am I this sure on this guy? I think he's going to be good. And man, if I miss another one, I'm not going to have a job. So I can see how, again, you got human beings doing it. I don't know how, how again, this might be for another show, but it, and I'm sure you have like a manifesto here, how you fix that. So let's just uh, leave it there. OK, I think we've both been heard on this. Let's go to MVP of the week. Who you got? I'm going to go with Dak, Lou. It's a little bit, you know, we've talked about the Cowboys. I I believe that they're for real. And I just think that that offense was clicking. They They showed up you know, against a a very formidable opponent, somebody that they haven't been able to beat in crucial games for a very long time, and they did it in grand fashion. So Dak Prescott gets my game ball this week. That's my guy. All right. There's plenty of guys, you know, put up statistics and had good games. But one guy that we've already discussed, I, I mean, it just looks different. Adult in the room, if you want to say that. Uh, yes, coming off the couch, whatever you want to say, but wherever he was, whatever he was doing, he came in ready to rock and roll and his coach trusts him. Kevin Stefanski, Joe Flacco is going to be my MVP. Uh, Drake London had a huge, you know, career game for him. 10 receptions, 172 yards. Debo again is just being Debo, you know, it's buck 49, seven catches. He rushed for a touchdown and had a receiving touchdown. Purdy, you could say he he was MVP of the week. Christian McCaffrey, anybody that played for San Francisco, I think, can be named, uh, you know, 
MVP of the week. And I didn't really look too much at, at defensive play. I just, I guess, wanted to give some love to the old guy because it, it when it's starting to look bleak for the Browns and all of a sudden it looks like a cleaner operation and that defense can't carry them the whole way in a game where they needed every bit of those 31 points, he was able to do it without, I think he had the one, one turnover, but three touchdowns getting Njoku involved and Njoku looks like an all pro tight end now. Uh, and it's like, wh- where's he been all year, right? They don't have Nick Chubb. They're all, all sorts of that. You talked about the chaos around the organization and all of a sudden this guy comes in. And I think one of the things I, I can't remember who said it, but I heard this and then I, you know, they, they showed it on, on one of the shows at halftime or not halftime, but after the game in the locker room where they're going to give him the game ball and they say Joe Flacco is going to speak and there was immediate silence. I mean, just immediate, I mean, usually in these locker rooms, things are going crazy. You go, hey, 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 quiet down, quiet down. You know, it takes a while. I mean, they said Joe Flacco is about to speak and it was, you could hear a pin drop. So immediately after a couple of weeks, whether it's his age, experience, they've seen this guy, you know, here's a guy that's gone to the Super Bowl, MVP, all these accolades, and he's at 38 years old, shows up slinging it, helping them win. That was just very cool to me. So I'm going to go with uh, our guy, Joe Flacco. Great pick. Well, great pick. I just think, you know, nobody thought nobody thought the Browns would be in this position after, you know, they lost their starting quarterback. And that's it, you know, and Nick Chubb went down early on in the season, but they just keep riding that ship. And once again, I think hats off to that coaching staff, to Kevin Stefanski and and Jim Schwartz. They're definitely getting, you know, doing a great job. Yeah, right in the hunt. And uh, yeah, I mean, they, they, I don't know if they can challenge for the division they're two games back but wow what a, what a story that would be if Flacco brings them to the playoffs after all this money they've spent on quarterbacks over the years and especially what they spent on Deshaun so all right so speaking of great picks I can use some Alex let's go all right uh, not so good last week I think one and three so we're sitting at the we're sitting at the 50 50 mark 23 and 23 for the season and some of these games I just you know, I marvel at the at the results, but hey, it's the NFL best reality show on TV, and it just keeps getting better every week. Uh, so we got three games on Saturday. Cincinnati's a three and a half point favorite home against Minnesota, and this is exactly where it jumps up and bites you. And Minnesota, that <laughs> they won a game three nothing and looked horrible doing it. And, and I can't say the Raiders look much better, but uh, wow! So immediately you think well hey jake browning's on a roll cincinnati minus three and a half well i'm gonna go with jake browning so let's take cincinnati minus three and a half uh denver who i avoid like the plague uh usually but detroit i don't know what the heck is going on with that team now you'd say well okay they're going to be back indoors they're going to right the ship but green bay beat them there chicago probably should have beat them there i'm going to take denver plus Five. I, I, I got to change it up a little bit here. Desperate times, desperate measures. I never pick on the Broncos, just a personal animus. But uh, Denver plus five, 
Um, another one that just looks kind of weird, Arizona getting 13 and a half at home in a division game. Now, albeit it is San Francisco, I think Kyler Murray will make enough plays. They're, they're still playing hard for that new coach. Connor's running hard. I got some faith that they can keep this one fairly close, but San Francisco just looks like a machine. But I'm still going to take the points. Arizona plus 13 and a half. And then Sunday night, huge game in the AFC. Baltimore at Jacksonville. Jacksonville has just, I don't know, they like fallen off the map, has looked horrible the last couple of weeks, but they're getting three and a half points at home. So that's a red flag for me. Uh, or a beacon, I should say. I'm going to follow it until I die. Jacksonville, plus three and a half over Baltimore. Those are my four. Uh, Not feeling real good with the picks lately, Alex. Don't know why. But uh, anyway, that's, that's my four. Who you got for your lock of the week? I don't either. Like, I'm looking at all these games. I don't, like, there's not, like, one game that really, like, stands out. Not many teams you, you really trust, right? I mean, San Francisco, you know, San Francisco right now is the team they but that's a huge number on the road. I don't care what anybody says. Look, I, I guess I'm looking at teams that, that lost the, those tough games this week. I'm looking at the Eagles on Monday night against the Seahawks. But... You know, I was leaning towards that game. But the one that really sticks out to me, it's the Packers. The Packers are at home. They just laid an egg against the Giants. But they're playing against the Buccaneers. I I just think in the cold, they're getting minus three and a half. I think the Packers will bounce back and cover here, you know, by about a touchdown. I just, the, the Bucks won against the Falcons. I get it. You know, they had a close game. You know, they won it at the end. They're chasing the the NFC South, you know, division. But the Packers are also trying to stay in this playoff race. And that's why I think that Jordan Love and the Packers will bounce back after a tough loss in the Big Apple. Yeah, so both games last night were kind of disappointing by the the favored team. Uh, Jordan Love looked, I don't know if it was uh, the weather but it wasn't like it was raining. I don't, I mean, the ball just wasn't coming out of his hands very well and it just looked choppy. And when Saquon tried to give the game away, uh, yeah. So that was, and then, you know, you had the other game, Miami, Tennessee, I think they were down 14 with under three minutes left. It's like the first time, I don't know how many years that a team has done that. Uh, finally, the analytics people can kind of, pound on their chests because uh Vrabel down by eight decides to go for two and they say that that you should go for two on that because it's a 50 50 proposition you'll get two bites of the apple if you do score again and and if you do get it on the first one then all you got to do is kick an extra point to win on this and that's the way it worked out and it was perfect so again analytics guys pound your chests Vrabel called it correctly and his team executed to a T and the Dolphins also uh, contributed to it. I just, it was just a weird, weird game, weird loss, and they deserve whatever the hell they come up with the rest of the season. So I think that's going to do it for us today, Alex, huh? You got anything going out? A big shout out to Sean Stellato. He's just going to be a big star moving forward here. I'm sure he's going to get on all the TV shows. We'll never get him on the show. 
show again. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to get him on. I'll try to get him on after this hype dies down a bit. Yeah. During Good Morning Football today, uh, Peter Schrager was texting him just to, you know, congratulate, whatever. He had a big night. And then uh, he called him back while they were on. And he it, it was a missed call, so so yeah, he's he's everywhere. And uh, Kirk Cousins and the, the Mannings had a lot of fun with him. But uh, we love our guy Sean. Uh, hope hopefully Sean uh, will get you back on the show. We can finish that interview and talk all about Jerry Maguire. All right. So for my pal Alex, I'm Lou. Till next, well, until next time, hit subscribe, please. That'll uh, that'll help us out and uh, help you out. And not miss any uh, upcoming episodes. Till next time. Peace.